And uh, we're going to look back into Hebrews chapter 11 just briefly, and then we'll get to our text this morning. Hebrews chapter number 12, and then we're going to back up just to the beginning of Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith or the Faith chapter of the Bible. There's a large number of folks that are listed here, and... um, it's interesting to me, I, some of them we look at and we say, boy, I wish I could be like them. The truth of the matter is, if you look down through the list of these, many of these folks were just ordinary people that had an extraordinary God and they had unbelievable faith. And uh, these folks oftentimes were not perfect in their faith. In fact, you'll find Gideon mentioned here. Gideon certainly put God to the test, didn't he? When God told him he'd be with him, Gideon questioned God, didn't he? And he had him put out the fleece. Uh, several times, and uh, even then Gideon uh, just was scared to death about what God was going to be doing. And um, can I tell you this, faith is not the absence of fear, faith is trusting God in the presence of fear. And oftentimes we begin to think, boy, I just uh, don't have faith in this area. The truth of the matter is, if we're trusting God, then we have faith in Him. And as we get to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says in verse number 4, we're going to skip down, we're not going to read all these, but I do want you to see these. Uh, verse number 4, the Bible says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse number 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Verse number 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Verse number 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Verse number um, 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Verse number 20. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob. And verse number 21. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Verse number 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. Verse number 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, verse number 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Then the writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 32 to say this, And what more more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder. They were tempted and were were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 
And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about <coughs> with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. And Lord, help us to understand the truth of these passages that we'll look at today, and that we would put them into practice in our hearts and our lives. Lord, may You draw us closer to You. May we love You with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Lord, may You strengthen our faith. That measure of faith that You give to every one of us, I pray that You would help to increase it. And Lord, we long to trust You more, to be able to prove You and to take You at Your Word, to rest in Your promises, to rest in the things that You've told us You would do. I pray that You would help us to have this kind of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The writer of Hebrews here spends an entire chapter illustrating people that he could give down through history that had displayed not great talent, not, not great strength, not great might, not great ability, but they had displayed great faith. I'm thankful that God doesn't judge us on our abilities and our talents. I'm thankful that He tells us we're simply to have faith. It's interesting to me that He chose many of these folks just common people. Why in the world He chose them uh, is, is beyond me. But I'll tell you this, he, He's also chosen you and I to do His work. And we ought to rejoice in that. We don't understand why He would do such a thing, but He does. And He wants us to do it by faith. And so He gives illustration. We've read many of these stories. If we've been in church any length of time, uh, we've read of the story of Abraham and, uh, and, and uh, uh, Cain and Abel. And we've read the story of Adam and Eve. We've read the story of Noah and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and uh, Rahab. And we've read all of these stories. We've read of Noah and the ark and all of these folks. We've read of Gideon and Barak and Jephthah. Uh, the mighty man of valor. And we've learned of all these men that had faith in the Scriptures and all these women that had faith in the Scriptures. And then the Bible says, and, and there were so many more, and, and the writer of Hebrews even says that in, in verse number, um, uh, verse number, um, oh, where is it at here? Let's see, around verse number 32. And what shall I say more? For time would fail me to tell. And there were so many people, even though he lists a few there, there's so many people, he said, time would fail to tell of those that throughout the centuries, throughout the years, had been able to be used of God, not because of their great talent or their great personality, but because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us this morning to, uh, to keep this thought in mind as we come to the message that God intends for each and every one of us to be used by Him. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, God has a plan for your life. And He expects us to follow that plan by faith. Can I encourage you in this? There are times He may have in His plan for us something that we don't think we can do. I've shared with you guys so many times before how introvertish I am. 
And I'm, how I would, even as a young person, I would freeze. I, I shared that with you, and it's, it's humorous to me as I look back, and I remember at the time where God began to put it on my heart that I needed to preach the gospel. And I was going to go into computers because, you know, you don't have to deal with people there. You just look at a screen. And, I mean, I was that introvertish and that backwards. And uh, God just put it on my heart, and I knew that I had to preach the gospel the rest of my life. And, and uh, I looked at that, and I thought, Lord, do you really know who you're talking to here? And I almost felt like when God talked to Moses, and He said, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses said, I, I can't. I stutter. I, I, and God said, who made your tongue, Moses? Don't you think God can overcome those things? And uh, I look back, and I think, boy, God has to have a sense of humor to some degree to take somebody like me. I'll, I'll tell you how bad it, it is still in my life, how introvertish I am. Uh, this past week we were at, uh, out on vacation, and we were waiting at the bus stop, and I'm sitting there on a bench uh, by myself, and there's another bench here, and my family's sitting over here on this bench. There wasn't enough room for all of us on it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking away with them, and a person walks up and stands at the corner of my bench, and I clam up like, like that. I don't say anything, and I look straight ahead. I mean, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't. That's how introvertish and backwards. And that just happened this past week. I still have those issues. And when I look at the fact that God says, I want you to preach, I think, that's something I can't do. There's not a, there's not a Sunday that I don't wake up in the morning thinking, Lord, if you don't help me today, I'm not going to make it through the day. Because God sometimes will ask us to do some things that we don't know we can do yet. But we're to do them by faith. We're to trust Him to do them through us. And He spends all of chapter 11 giving illustration after illustration after illustration of people that were ordinary people, but put their faith in what God asked them to do. How in the world could a father take his son and walk him up on Mount Moriah and slay him on an altar? And yet Abraham did that. God stopped him, thank goodness. But think about this, the, the faith that it must have taken for Abraham to do that. You know, I, it took me a number of years to realize that God wasn't after Isaac in that whole story. That wasn't God's heart. That, God, didn't, God wasn't trying to, to get Isaac there. God was trying to get Abraham there. He wanted to get Abraham's heart. And Abraham gets up there, and the Bible says he did it by faith. I don't know what kind of faith Abraham had, whether he thought, well, God gave me a son, He can give me another one, or if I do slay him, God will raise him again. I don't know what kind of faith it was, but I know this, it was enough faith for him to obey God. How can Moses get out and preach, or Noah get out, I'm sorry, Noah get out and preach for over a hundred years to people that a flood was coming? They'd never seen any such thing. They never knew of any such thing be ridiculed, to be uh, laughed at, to be scorned, to be mocked? How could Gideon take this mighty group of men and God whittle them down to just 300 and say he was going to beat the armies of the, the enemies of the Israelites? By faith, by faith, by faith, and over and over and over again. So much so that the writer of Hebrews says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. And he sums it all up with this. He lays the case out. And then we get to chapter 12, and he draws the conclusion. Wherefore, in light of all this that we've talked about, wherefore, 
Notice with me in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing... What's the next two-letter word here? We. Watch this. The writer of Hebrews goes from pointing to people of great faith to me. And to you, by the way. And he says this, Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race, and I love this phrase, that is set before us. Can I tell you this, this morning, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, God has a plan for your life. And can I help you with this? It's not the same as His plan for mine. And by the way, it's not the same as His plan for your spouse or your children. I, I, I cringe when Christian parents raise their children and say, you need to go into this field, and they've not taught their children to find out what does God want for your life. Because the path for their children is different than the path for them. And by the way, the path for your spouse is different than God's path for you. God has a plan for every individual. It's a race. And Paul said this, forgetting those in Philippians, he says, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. The idea of leaning or lunging for the finish line to, to give forth the effort and to put every ounce of strength into the race. And this is God's will and this is God's plan. For you and I to take the plan that He has that is laid out before us and to run it with patience. There's a couple things that I think are very interesting in the way that this is worded in verse number 1. The Bible says, let us run with patience the race, and I love this phrase, that is set before us. I've had people come before and say, Pastor, how do I know what God's will for my life is? And I come back with that wonderful theological, biblical answer, you'll just know. <laughs> you know why? Because God desires for you to know His will for your life even more than you desire to know it. God is not sitting up in heaven trying to play a game with you and make you chase after and try to wonder, what is God's will for my life? I've found this to be true, that the more I walk with God in His Word and in prayer daily, the more I understand what His will for my life is. The more I see plainly the path that He has laid before me to walk. For us to get this place to this place where we understand and we see the will of God in our lives. I love that Psalm 119, verse 135, that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my what? Path. How do I know God's path? He gives it to me as I walk with Him and as I talk with Him in His Word, as I spend time with Him in prayer, as I spend time learning to lean upon Him for understanding. Learning to lean upon Him for His will in my life. He makes it pretty plain. I'll tell you this, I certainly know when I'm out of God's will. He gives me the Holy Spirit to help me know that. As I begin to walk to the edge, I, last night I was coming home from Florida, and we turned a 14-hour drive into an 18-hour drive. After being all week on my feet out in the hot Florida sun, I, I was physically tired last night. And uh, fortunately, this truck that I have... Uh, has a, a deviation uh, alert. Any of y'all got them funny cars like that? 
And, and, and if you start to cross the line, it goes beep, 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 like that. Can I tell you this? I'm thankful God gave us the Holy Spirit so that when we start to get out of that path, that way that God has for us, our conscience begins to say, there's something wrong here. This isn't in line with what God's words showed you. This isn't in line with what your walk with God has, has given you to know what is right and what is wrong. It's interesting to me that even that uh, there are times that I look at people and I, if we're not careful, we'll become judgmental of folks this way. But there are times we look at people and we say they've been saved long enough; they ought to just know. But you know, the Bible talks about that—that that there's a group of people who ought to be able to teach others, but they're in need themselves of the first oracles of God. They, they don't know what it is to have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. And I tell you this, the closer we walk with God, the more we spend in His Word, the more time we spend in prayer and on our faces before Him, the more He makes very plain His will for our life. He lays that path out before us. And then the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, looking back at all of these that have come before us, all of these people that were ordinary people that did extraordinary things, by faith. He said, I want you to take the path that God's laid before you, and I want you to run it with patience. I'm thankful He puts in there to run with patience, aren't you? Because the truth is, we start running along this path, this, this plan that God has for our life, and every once in a while, there's a speed bump in the way. You ever been there? Every once in a while, there's something that comes along that tries to distract you and cause you to not run. A number of years ago, I went to uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee on, with a, a family trip, and we decided to ride horses. And uh, I'm a pretty big guy, so they had to find the biggest horse they could get. And uh, they got this big horse, and they put me on it. And we were going down this little narrow mountain trail with about a 500,000-foot drop off to the left of it. And the more I recount the story, the bigger that drop was. It really probably wasn't that big. But it scared me. And I, we were very narrow, and this is a big horse, and I'm a big guy. And the horse kept stumbling along the way. And uh, I remember uh, as we uh, got to uh, going down this trail, you know, these horses, they tell you, you know, you can steer them with the reins and you can kick them with your heels to get them to go faster or slower. Not these horses. These horses are so trained to do these trail rides, they're half dead, it seems like. But we got on the trail, and all of a sudden, my horse got distracted, and he saw some green leaves over here, and he started eating and the rest of the people are going on down the trail. And I'm like, hey, hold up a minute. And the guy looked back and he said, just pull the reins. And I'm pulling them and I'm pulling them. And the horse took and he yanked them back and got to eating those things again. The reason was he saw something that looked good on the side and he got sidetracked from what he was supposed to be doing. And I use that illustration and don't miss the point because of the illustration. But as God's people, how often Satan entices us and we get distracted. We get off of what we're supposed to be doing and we're no longer running the race that we're supposed to be running. We're no longer pressing toward the mark. Hold your place here for a moment. Look with me in the book of Psalm 1. If you will turn to the first Psalm. We find just some... I love the way God's Word is so perfectly written. It all fits together, doesn't it? Just like pieces of a puzzle. It all just ties together. 
But we get to Psalm 1, and we look in verse number 1, and the very first word in my Bible says, Blessed. How about yours? Is that what yours says? All right, you got the right Bible then. Blessed. Now, anytime I see this word, I begin to sit up and take notice. Man, I want that. I certainly don't want the ones that start with the word cursed. I want the one that says blessed. So I'm going to look at this. And the Bible says, Blessed is the man, notice this, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor what? Standeth in the way of sinners, nor what? Sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And I, I for years as a youth pastor, I would teach this and, and, and show our young people that there is a digression that takes place here in verse number 1 of the book of Psalms. We find that the blessed man is the man that begins by walking not in the counsel of the ungodly, listening to what people say. I don't know how many times, and by the way, Satan tries to do this to us. He tries to make the things of this world look so appealing. You ever see commercials for, uh, for, for things that we know are wrong, like, um, I don't know, getting drunk with alcohol and those kinds of things? where you got people that are laying around drunk and can't hardly do anything. You don't find things like that. They, they make them look glamorous, don't they? They try to make them. You look at these, these uh, uh, folks that get out here and uh, uh, will curse the name of God as musicians and artists that uh, the world has, that they try to uh, influence the minds of our young people through their music and through their stage presence. And they begin to make the, the, the ungodly, the wicked life look appealing. To where young people say, oh, I want to grow up and be a rock star one of these days. I want the wealth and the fame and the riches and the, the, the limos and the big... And Satan makes it look good, doesn't he? People begin to listen to what the ungodly are saying. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what happens here? here watch this. We are to be running a race that is set before us that God puts in place for us. That's, that's, our, that's our purpose as a Christian. Where the distraction comes in is when we begin to, while we're running this race, and it's the race that God has put before us, we see an ungodly person over here that's running their own race. A place that they're going down their own path. By the way, we've got to be careful of those paths, don't we? Because the Bible says, Narrow is the gate, and straight is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Broad is the gate. So many people, the Bible says, go in at that gate. And that gate leads to destruction. Can I tell you this? People that choose their own path, their own way, the book of Proverbs says it twice. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so we begin by watching some person. We're running our race, but we get distracted. And we see this ungodly person over here, and they're walking their own race. And Satan doctors it up, and he pretties it up, and he makes it look good. And then that person says, man, I am having the time of my life, and we hear it. We begin to listen. You know what happens? We stop running, and we start walking. I'm going to slow down and listen to this guy. I want to, I want to hear what he has to say. And we start lending an ear to it. The psalmist said, the blessed man is the one who doesn't do that. The blessed man is the one that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If we don't stop it at that point, if we don't have enough sense biblically to understand this this principle, if we don't understand this truth that is taught in verse 1 of Psalm 1, and we allow that to continue for our ear to be inclined, 
to the counsel of the ungodly. We slow to a walk, spiritually speaking. And it's not very long before we come to a complete stop. And we say, you know what? Those people seem like a lot of fun. I think I want to just hang around. I'm not going to do what they're doing, but I want to be around them. We begin to stand in the way of sinners. We not put a stop to it. We now have stepped out of the path and the plan, the race that God has set before us into a path and into a way that the ungodly and the sinners have taken. Oh, I'm still saved, Pastor. God knows my heart. You ever heard that? I'm still trusting Christ as my Savior, and God knows. I mean, He knows I'm just human. And we use that as an excuse to stand in the way of sinners. God will forgive me, Pastor. He said that if I would confess my sin, He will be faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. That's true, and I'm thankful for that. But we're not to spurn that grace of God. We're not to stand in the way of sinners and continue in this way and say, I'm just going to keep asking God to forgive me. We begin to stand in the way of sinners. You know what the heart of a Christian ought to be, the desire of a Christian ought to be? The Bible says we ought to stand in the way and seek and ask for the old paths. See what the right way is. To find out what we should be doing. You say, where do I find those right here? I find them in God's Word. Those ancient landmarks that ought not to be moved. I want to make sure that I'm steadfast in this way that God has for me. It's amazing to me how oftentimes we get so sidetracked and so distracted by the things of this world. And Satan does it. He does it so shrewdly. Oftentimes we don't even realize he's doing it until it's too late. We find ourselves either listening to the ungodly or standing in the way of sinners. If we're not wise enough to know this truth of Scripture and we continue to stand in the way of sinners, it's not very long before we finally sit down in the seat of the scornful. You know, at first when we started, we, we were trying to follow the Lord and we're trying to walk the, the, the path or run the race that God has laid before us. But I'm just listening, Pastor. I'm not, I'm not participating. I, I, just, I just want to hear what they have to say. Then we began to stand in the way of sinners, and all of a sudden, I'm kind of, kind of okay with what they're doing. Yeah, they, they, they can live their own life. I think every man ought to be able to make his own choice, is what we say. I'm okay with that. Now, I'm not participating in it, Pastor. Know this, I'm not. But hey, it's not so bad what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's them. And then we finally get to that last place. Where no longer are we just listening and no longer are we okay with, but now we begin to participate in. And we don't care who sees. We sit right down with them. We get in full fellowship with them. And we become a scorner to the place where we have no conscience with God anymore. We just continue to sin and follow that route, and we don't care who, who sees it. Do we see the digression that takes place here? What were we supposed to be doing? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. We would be running the race 
with patience. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves sitting down with scorners. Not even anywhere near the race that God had put before us. We're now over here in the way of sinners and sitting down with them and participating in what they're doing. And I've seen Christians do this. I've watched their lives deteriorate. I've watched them go down that path. By the way, all of us to some degree start off on these distractions. I'm thankful that God helps us to see them along the way and most of us catch it early on and say, no, no, not going there. I started there, but I'm not. I want to get back on the path. We maybe make a recommitment to God and say, Lord, I've, I've let this part of my life slip a little bit. I've allowed some things to creep in. I've allowed the influence to be there. I don't want that anymore. I want to come back to the path that I'm supposed to be running this race that you've laid before me. You say, Brother Greg, that's a hard thing to do. It's a simple concept, but it's hard to do. How am I going to do it? By faith. That's why he spent all of chapter 11 showing all of these men and all of these women. Do you think it was easy for them? No, no, no. Not on your life it wasn't easy for them. They did it by faith. They did it by saying, I don't have the strength. But I know God does. And so I'm going to obey Him and expect Him to help me through this. I don't know what was going on in Gideon's mind. I can only think to take 300 men and face that huge army, men of battle, hardened, seasoned men of battle, 300 of us, Against this whole army? How in the world is this going to happen? I don't know the fear that he had in his heart as he stepped up on that hillside that night. But I know he had enough faith to do it anyway. To say, you know, I don't understand it, but God told me to. And my answer is yes. You know, that's really all it is. For you and I to get to a place in our life where we say, Lord, I don't understand it, but it's what you've told me to do. And my answer is yes. It's interesting in Psalm 1, he talks about this blessed man who refrains from walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of the scornful. And he says this, but his delight... Not only not doing things that he shouldn't be doing, but doing things that he should be doing. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. But his delight is in the what? Law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate regularly, occasionally, somewhat. No, no. The Bible says in this law doth he meditate day and night. How am I going to to have this kind of faith? Saturate your life with God's Word. Read it. Cherish it. Love it. Get all that you can out of it. If you will, turn back with me now to Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll finish up here. Hebrews chapter number 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... The sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And there is a punctuation mark there that is what? A comma. That means a continuation of the thought. Are you ready? Looking 
unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school, didn't we? He started that faith in us. He will perform that faith in us. He will perfect that faith in us. And He will help us to finish the race. Looking unto Jesus. You say, Brother Greg, how do I have faith? I look unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. Brother Greg, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be trials along the way. It's going to hurt. I love what it says. Aren't you glad the Bible gives us these answers? If we didn't have this, our our human philosophy, our human logic would never think of these things. But God thinks of them. Look what He says here in verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the what? Cross. Did Jesus enjoy the cross? No. You know how I know that? Because the writer of Hebrews tells us, despising the shame. Jesus despised the cross. But He endured it. Why? Because there was great joy before Him. For you and I, the great joy of the Christian life is to have the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, said to us. The great joy of the Christian life is to have the love of Christ in our hearts and in our lives as we trust Him. But what was the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ? What was it that caused His heart to say, I'm willing to go to the death of the cross, to despise all of the shame that that brings... There's great joy that God had. You know what that joy was? You and I. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense to me. But it was. The great joy for God was that He could reconcile a sinful man with a holy God so that we could have fellowship with Him again. I'm going to tell you, I'm so thankful that God loves me that much. I'm thankful He loves you that much. You say, Brother Greg, how do you explain that? I can't. I cannot explain that. Because the truth is, no matter which way you look at it from, we certainly don't deserve that love. But the writer of Hebrews says to God, going through the cross, going through despising the shame, He was willing to do it because of the joy that it brought to his heart when he saw what it produced. It allowed redemption of man to be reconciled to God. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I tell you this, God has a plan for your life. It's different than the one for mine. His expectation, that which is just reasonable, that is that which is just expected of the Christian life. It's not it's not exceptional, it's not above and beyond the call of duty. It's just what is expected of the Christian life is that we take and run the race with patience that God sets before us. Not our own race, 
not the race that this world would have us run, but the race that God has for me to run. I am to run it with patience. Brother Greg, it's going to be hard. I don't know if I can do it. Yes, you can. How am I going to do it? Looking unto Jesus. He's the author, and He's the finisher of my faith. I look at the stories that the Bible gives us of the disciples. I love the story of Peter. love Peter. Peter reminds me so much of me <laughs> in a lot of ways. He was a mess, wasn't he? You know, he's the only man other than the Lord Jesus Christ to ever walk on water. Took a little bit of faith, didn't it? Before we're too critical of Peter, he was a man of faith. And yet when Jesus spoke to Peter, he said, O ye of what? Little faith. I look at Peter and I think, man, I wish I could have the faith of Peter. And yet if Peter's faith was that small, I wonder what mine must be. I can't even seem to trust God with the trials of this life, the burdens. When I come to Him in prayer, I have anxiety over things. I can't trust Him for that. You ever think about this? How in the world can you and I trust Him with the most valuable thing that we have, which is our eternal soul, and not trust Him for everything else in life? Brother Keith and I were talking about this this morning. It doesn't mean that we won't go hungry. But it means that whatever it is that God gives to us, it's what He knows we need in our lives. We may suffer persecution. Some of these folks in the book of Hebrews, they weren't delivered, were they? They were sawn asunder. They were sewed up in goat skins, made to wander. God didn't choose to deliver them. But He gives them greater reward. Can I encourage you in this? Let's walk with God in such a way that we know His His race for us. We see it. It's made very, very plain to us what His will is. And then let's run it with patience. You say, well, there's been a speed bump. There's been a distraction. There's been something that's hurt me along the way. Get up, dust yourself off, and run it again. With patience. Am I going to stumble along the way? Absolutely. Am I going to fall sometimes? Yes. I might get a spiritual skint knee or bum elbow. But I'm going to run it with patience. How do I keep getting up? How do I keep going? I look unto Jesus. Keep my eyes upon Him. I love the song that was written years ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Can I tell you this? This is the one that says, Greg, I know what your faith is. I was the author of it. I'll be the finisher of it too. If you need help running that race, if you need strength in your faith, I'll take care of that for you. Just keep your eyes upon me. Keep your eyes upon me. Let's not be the kind of Christian that steps out of the way that God has for us, the the race, 
that begins to listen to the ungodly, begins to walk in the way of sinners, or begins to sit in the seat of the scornful. But let's be a Christian that runs with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I hope that will be a help to us this morning. I, I know that if we were to go around the room and people were to give testimony, they could give testimony of the fact that there have been trials in life. There have been discouragements. There have been temptations. There have been people I've talked to in my own personal life. I have experienced getting to the point that some of these folks have spoken of where you are a hair's breadth away of saying, Lord, I can't do any more. I'm done. You feel like you tied a knot in the end of the rope and the knot gave way. Can I tell you this? What do we do when that time comes? We look to Jesus. We run to Him as our source of strength to get us through it. Why? Because He's the author and finisher of our faith. I hope that will help us. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. The message has been primarily for Christians, hopefully to be an encouragement to us, to help us along the way. And I certainly hope that if God has spoken to your heart, that you'll respond to that and that you'll ask for God to help strengthen our faith to do the things that He has for us to run that race that He's given to us. There may be somebody here today that said, Pastor, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I'd... I have not put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd sure like to do that. Can I tell you this? You can do it today. You can put your faith and to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for you on Calvary. You can trust Him today. You can get that matter settled today. And I would urge you to do that. Don't leave here lost.